Then in verse 10, we read about the apostles returning unto the Lord. And we'll pick up the reading then at verse 10 of Luke chapter 9. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him, that is Christ, all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, that is food, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For they were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them, twelve baskets. Amen. We'll end reading there at verse 17. Let's buy briefly in a word of prayer. Can I encourage you in the stillness of your heart to seek the Lord with all your heart and to pray that he would speak to you this evening through his living word. Let us all pray. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, I thank thee for the promise in Psalm 34 that thine eyes are upon the righteous and thine ears are open unto their cry. Father, I thank you for thy beloved Son, the one in whom we come to thee. He is the one who teaches us to pray, not simply my Father, but our Father. Because, Lord, we come to thee with him. We are unworthy in and of ourselves, but we come to thee with him who is worthy. He is the one Father in whom we have acceptance. He is the one, Father, who's always heard of thee. And so, Father, in the merits of his perfect life and the merits of the blood that he shed for us, Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to pour out a blessing even now. Father, I thank you for the promise that you've given to me. Lord, that faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And Lord, I pray that as thou hast called me to be a blessing to thy people here, Father, be a servant that exalts Christ and preaches him before the people, not simply for the sake of it, but Lord, that there would be fruit that lasts unto perfection, that there would be fruit abundantly, even a hundredfold. Lord, let that be the case. May thy word bring forth such fruit this evening, not by the power of man, because man has no power, but by the Spirit of the living God, by thy Spirit. Let thy word bring forth fruit. Oh, Father, do a work this evening that will last for eternity. Lord, we pray these things for the glory of Christ, the advancement of his kingdom, the worship of his name, and time and eternity. Come, Lord, we pray. Presence thyself with us. Speak to us all. Those that are young and those that are older, speak to everyone, Lord. May there not be a single person. Lord, everyone was filled that was here this day, as we're about to read it. Father, may everybody here be filled with Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. We ask in his name, in his merits, for his glory alone. Amen. I mentioned this morning that it's going to comment about the potato this evening. 
Well, a potato, or indeed a spud, is a very simple object. It's got one real purpose, and that is to be eaten. That said, of course, there are many ways in which it can be eaten. You can boil a potato, bake a potato, roast a potato, mash a potato, turn potatoes into chips or wedges, crisps. You could make hash brown, you can make potato bread. You can have potato salad and potato skins and potato soup. Potatoes have one simple purpose, and it is to feed. But yet, potatoes can feed in a whole variety of ways. And so it is whenever we come to this particular miracle in Luke chapter 9. As with all of Scripture, there is one sense, one primary purpose in which it's given, but yet a whole variety of applications. For example, as you and I come to this miracle of Christ feeding the 5,000, you know, you and I could look at it theologically. We could apply it to how Jesus Christ is the living and the true God and highlight his deity. You and I could look at it and apply it socially. We could think about the, the boy that brought the two loaves, sorry, the five loaves and the two fish. And how he was willing to give his all for the Lord and for others. And how the Lord blessed that. We could look at this miracle in a pastoral way. How the apostles, they were unable to feed the people without first themselves having received of the law. So many wonderful applications. But yet the question comes, what is the primary purpose of this passage? Whenever I was in Bible college, one thing that was always emphasized in the preaching class was get the sense of the passage. Study it, read it, think about it, meditate over it, read all around what is the sense of this passage. What is the main reason for which it's given? And then preach that. Well, if you turn me, please, to Mark's record of this miracle, I believe the answer is found. This is a very significant miracle that we're looking at this evening. All of Christ's miracles are significant, but this one especially so. You see, out of the several dozen of miracles that we have recorded of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Outside of Christ's resurrection, there is only one miracle that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. Only one. And that's this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 men and all those that attended. It's a very important miracle this evening. Something the Holy Spirit wants to show us regarding Christ. And so it's very important that we get the primary purpose of it. If you turn me, please, to Mark chapter 6 in the verse 30, we have the apostles gathering together unto Jesus Christ after they had been sent away. They tell Christ all that they had done and what they had taught. And then if you look with me, please, at verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Because they were his sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And then in verses 37 following, you now read about how Christ performed this great and wondrous miracle of taking those loaves and fish and making them to feed all that were gathered. What is the sense of this miracle? What is the primary purpose for it being recorded four times over? I'd put it to you, it's found in verse 34. It's to show to you and I the compassion of Jesus Christ. Now this phrase, was moved with compassion, is just one term in the Greek. 
it actually comes from a single word which means intestine. And the idea is that from the very core of Christ, he yearned for these people. His love was so great that it was bursting from inside him, bursting out. He had to act. For these people that were before him. And so this evening it is my delight and my privilege to stand here and to proclaim to you the compassion of Jesus Christ. And I want us to see just two primary points this evening. The first is this, that Christ is compassionate to those who serve him. And then Christ is compassionate to those who are searching for him. Let us, of course, look at the first one first. Christ is compassionate to those who serve him. And there's a message here for the unbelievers. If you're here tonight, you're an unbeliever. See what will happen if you come to Christ. See the type of savior that you will have. Let this be an encouragement to come and give your all to Christ in faith and repentance. Because he is the one that you will have. A compassionate savior. If you give your life to serve him, he will be compassionate to those who serve him. And of course, believer, there is the application. This is the savior that you do have. Christ is compassionate to those who serve him. Now, if you keep a bookmark in Mark chapter 6 and keep a bookmark in Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at the two records. First of all, let us see Christ is compassionate to those who serve him in a number of ways. First and foremost, Christ enjoys listening to those who serve him. In Luke chapter 9, in the verse 10, we read these words. And the apostles, when they returned, that is, they were returned from doing what Christ had told them to do, to, to go into the cities and the towns and the villages and to preach the kingdom of God. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him, that is Christ, all that they had done. In Mark chapter 6, in the verse 30, we read, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Have you ever had somebody who's asked you to go do something for them? Maybe it's a, a boss, maybe it's a colleague, and they sent you to go do something. Whenever you came back, you wanted to tell them all that had happened. Some exciting things happened. You wanted to tell them all that happened. Some people you met, some, some interesting characters, and you just wanted to tell them all about it. But whenever you came to speak to them, they just said, look, look, I'm busy at the minute. In fact, I'm very busy and I've got a lot to do, and I haven't got time to hear all about what happened. Just tell me, did you get the job done? Just yes or no. That's all I want to know. Did you get the job done? Have you ever met somebody like that? No real time to listen. No real interest in you. Well, let me tell you, that's not our Savior. You think about this. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ has sent his disciples on a mission. Jesus Christ knows exactly what they've done because he knows all things. He knows exactly who they have met. He knows exactly what difficulties they've come up against. He knows exactly what success they've had. He knows exactly the prayers that they made and the prayers that Christ himself had answered. Christ knows it all. He doesn't need to be told. Furthermore, Christ is extremely busy. Because in verse 31 of Mark chapter 6, we read that many were coming and going. Many were coming to Christ. Christ had a lot to do. He had a lot on his plate. And yet, notice... Christ's compassion for those who serve him, who listen to him. Christ cared for each and every one of those who serve him. I can just imagine it. As Peter gathers, come on, Peter, 
tell me what happened. Thaddeus, come on, Thaddeus, tell me, who did you meet? Levi, Levi, tell me. What did you experience? What did you overcome? Tell me, I'm interested. Tell me all. Christ cared about the work. Of course he did. That's why he left heaven's glory to come down to this earth. He had a work to do for the Father. But Christ didn't just care for the work. Christ cared for the people. He cared for those he served in. Sometimes in life you and I can have those that are good at selling. And they come along to us and they encourage us to buy something. And they make it sound really great. And then whenever you actually do buy it and you fork out the money... Well, whenever you get to use it, it's really a bit disappointing. Let me tell you, that's not the case with Christ. If you're here this evening, if you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you gave your life to serve him, you ask him to be your savior, let me tell you, he is the perfect savior. He will never disappoint you. He will not only love the work that you do, he will love you. He will care about you. And he will enjoy hearing from you why we sang the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus Christ is compassionate to those who serve him. He enjoys listening to those who serve him. Hearing not just about one or two things he did, but all that you've done, all that you've gone through, all that you're experienced. He wants to hear it all because he loves you and he cares about you. So dear believer, for us who have Christ, let us see that he waits even at the end of the day. Not just in the morning that we will spend time with him, but even at the end of the day. He waits, he just wants to hear all about it. He knows about it all already. But he wants us to tell him all about it because he loves us. Christ enjoys listening to those who serve him. Notice also, secondly, Christ sees and meets the need of those who serve him. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, the verse 10, we read, And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And if you look at me, please, at Mark chapter 6 and the verse 31, that after the disciples had told Christ all that they had done and all that they had taught, verse 31, and he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Many people in this world don't care about people enough to notice if they have a need. Many people are just so concerned with their own lives, their own routine, and their own works that they have to do, and their own to-do list, they don't look up to see the needs of others. Joseph, whenever he was in prison in the Old Testament, he actually, as he went about his daily business, he did look at the face of other people. That's why we read that he is able to see that the butler and baker were down. So he spoke to them. Why, there are those who don't care about people enough to notice if there's a person in need. Some people, they will care to see that a person in need, but they not really care enough to do something about it. Let me tell you this evening, who is the Savior that is offered to you in the gospel? It's a Savior who not only sees your need, but he is a Savior who meets your need. Christ's disciples here in this passage are willing to serve him. 
we see and read of no complaint from them. They love their work. They're doing their work. But Christ, he sees their need. They don't bring it to him and say, Master, we're wrecked. We're shattered. We're exhausted. Lord, we can't go any further. No, they don't come to Christ. Christ, he goes to them. Christ sees their need. Christ sees they're busy. Christ sees they're so busy that even, even they get a break for 15 minutes to eat. And Christ caring for them physically and spiritually. As whole people, Christ tells them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. I wonder if there's someone here this evening and you are wrecked. You're so busy you can hardly lift your head. You feel like you're about to collapse. Notice with me here the wisdom and care that Christ had for those that were thirsty. He told them three things. He told them to rest from the work. He said, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. The word desert does not refer to a barren wilderness. We're going to read at the end later on in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, that Christ made them to sit down in grass. So it's not the idea of a barren wilderness that all there is is sand. No, it's the idea of an isolated place. That's why that the disciples would come to Christ and say, send the multitudes away to go and to buy food because there's no shops around, there's no people around, there's no houses around. Bethsaida is an isolated place. These apostles and disciples have been busy serving people in Christ. And if he says to them, come yourselves apart into a desert place, into an isolated place, he's telling them, rest from the work. He also told them, to rest for the work. He said, come ye yourselves apart in the desert place and rest a while. Christ knew that the disciples loved their work and he wasn't calling them to give up their work. He wasn't calling them to terminate their work. He wasn't calling them out of the work. He was simply, come and rest for a while that you will indeed be refreshed as the, terming of the, the meaning of the term rest is. It's the idea of refreshment. Come for a while, for a period away from the work, that you may be rested for the work. You may go back with that greater vigor, that greater energy, that greater capacity and ability to serve. He told them to rest from the work. He told them to rest for the work. He then told them to rest in Christ. He said, come. He didn't say go. He didn't say go away from me. He says, come, come with me. And the desert, please. For those who are saved, Jesus Christ, he is their joy, he is their strength, he is their love. No refreshment, no strength, no joy, no peace will ever be found outside of him. And so Jesus Christ is compassion to those that serve him. He sees their need and he meets their need. He tells them exactly what they need to hear. And so, believer, sorry, unbeliever this evening, let me tell you, you can entrust your life to Jesus Christ. You come to him in the gospel, I can tell you, Jesus Christ, he cares. You serve him. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ will care for you. He will care for you as a whole person. He'll care for you in your body, and he'll care for you with your soul. Jesus Christ, he will see the needs that you have before you even bring them to him. He will meet your need. He'll care for you. He'll not abandon you. He'll not just call you to give your life to him and just leave you in a wee isolated place. 
for the rest of your life, nobody will care for you. And dear believer, let me ask you this evening, are you letting Christ care for you? Are you taking him at his word? Maybe there is somebody here and you are wrecked and you are tired. You turn and say, but hold on a minute, preacher. You don't know the work I'm involved in. I'm too busy to rest. Let me tell you, these men were so busy they couldn't even get a break to eat for 15 minutes. They've been busy preaching. They've been busy healing. They've been busy staying in people's houses, chatting and studying and all the rest of it. Busy doing outreach. They've been very busy people. Now there's many coming and going. They're wrecked. Christ still told them to rest. Perhaps you make another objection. Say, but preacher, rest is wrong. I need to keep working. Things will carry on without me. Let me tell you, Christ gave the command to rest. Christ is the one who's in control of the work. Not you. Rest is not wrong. Rest is right. I remember one of our lecturers in Bible college who knew what it was to be burnt out and coming to us, he made it very clear to us again and again and again. People talk about hobby horses. Well, this was his hobby horse. He says, people say with great piety, I'd rather burn out than rust out. He says, if you burn out, you're out. If you rust out, you're out. What good are you to anybody? I'm a side and rest. Perhaps you make another objection. Well, the devil never rests, preacher. Let me tell you, since when do you take the devil as your example? Listen to the words of Christ. Men and women, where you and I seek to find our rest will be very telling. Whenever you want a break, where do you go and what do you do? You may take a rest from work, but tell me, do you take a rest that will be beneficial for your work, that will refresh you physically, mentally, that you'll be able to go back to your work, not wrecked even more, but refreshed. And let me ask you, do you also rest in Jesus Christ? You want to be strong, you want to be refreshed, you want to be satisfied, you're only ever going to find him in Christ. You rest in him. You see, where we go to find our rest in life is a good gauge of where our heart is. Because resting in and with Christ is to be delightful, it is to be refreshing. That's why the Sabbath is to be a day of rest, calling away from the things of the world to come and spend time with him. But yet let me ask you, do we desire to rest in Christ or do we dread it? Do we consider even coming on the Lord's day to be a burden or do we see it to be a blessing? Do we see it to be helpful or do we see it to be a hindrance? How much do we desire to rest in the Lord? How much time do we spend throughout the week to be refreshed to the work that God's called us to do that we would rest in the Lord? See, the time that you and I would spend with the Lord is a gauge of our love for the Lord himself. Christ's compassion is seen for those who serve him because he enjoys listening to those who serve him. He sees and meets the needs of those who serve him. But there was also, thirdly, Christ advances the faith of those who serve him. Well, turn me, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and the verse 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and the verse 12. We read, and when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, 
except we should go and buy meat for all this people. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a job where you have just been called to do a role? You're just being paid to do a role. Your boss, your employer, those who are over you, they've got no desire in you developing yourself, no desire in you improving. Just do your role. But I'd like to learn this. No, just you do your role. But I'd like to know, no, just you do your role. Just do what you're being paid to do. And the care here is not for you and the work. It's just for the work. Just do what you're told to do. You see, that's not Christ. That's not the Savior that's offered in the gospel. You give your life to him, Christ. He will want you to advance. He'll want you to grow. He'll want you to be the best that you can be. He'll want you to lead you on. He'll want to show you new things. He'll want you to be the best that you can be. And you see in these verses that we read in Luke 9, verses 12 to 13, the disciples did not see how they could possibly meet the need of all these people. If you want to turn me, please, to John chapter 6. And we have the same record, same miracle, but a few extra details. John chapter 6. The opening 15 verses record this miracle, but look at me, please, at verse 5. John 6, verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said, that is Christ said, to prove him, to prove Philip. For he himself knew what he would do. Christ knew what he was about to do. Christ knew he was about to feed the multitude. Christ knew there was only a few loaves and fish around. Christ knew it all. But you see, he wants the disciples to improve. Some people, they look at the perspective of the disciples and they make different suggestions. Some say the disciples, really their attitude and perspective at the minute is one of arrogance. You see, the disciples here, they think that they have arrived. They are filled with pride. They've seen all that the Lord can do. They've grown up and matured spiritually in the Lord. Because they don't come asking the Lord and making a suggestion, would it be good to send these people away to get food? No, they come ordering the Lord. Look, we're mature. We know what's best here. We know what's right here. Send the people away, Lord. Laziness. Work out how were they going to feed the whole crowd. They didn't want to have to go to the next time and to find the food and to pay the money for it. They didn't want the hassle working out how we're going to feed 5,000 men, potentially another 5,000 women, potentially children on top of that. How are we going to do that? No, they were just lazy. They didn't want to work it all out. Lord, just send them away. It was far easier. It's the easiest route, Lord. Just send them away. Others, however, and I'm inclined to this perspective, the attitude and perspective of the disciples was one of weakness. Well, the disciples, in my opinion, would love to help the people. They are serving the people as they're coming and going. They're, they're, their heart's clearly seen in that. They would love to help the people that are hungry and that the people that are in need. But the disciples, they feel completely incapable of helping them. Only 12 of them. 5,000 men, say potentially another 5,000 women, potentially even children in addition to that. They were having... 12, 13, 14, 15, 16,000 people. 12 disciples, you organize all that. Lord, 
what are we among so many? That's the question that was asked in one of the gospel records. What are we among so many? And indeed, what are these few loaves and fish among so many? Lord, what can we do? We'd love to help. We'd love to serve. We'd love to be there for them. But what can we do? How can we help them? How can we satisfy them? How can we meet their needs? Now, of course, if their attitude is one of arrogance, well, the lesson is clear tonight, isn't it? The disciples should have humbled themselves before the Lord. And perhaps the Lord has called you to do a work for him. And yet you and arrogance are saying, Lord, no, no, that's not the right way. Lord, you should go do this. You're not humbling yourself, asking the Lord for wisdom and for direction. No, you're just telling the Lord, Lord, just do this. Well, the lesson is clear. You need to humble yourself before the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 14. Read, with whom took the Lord counsel? Or who instructed the Lord? And taught the Lord in the path of judgment. And taught the Lord knowledge. And showed to the Lord the way of understanding. Nothing you can teach the Lord. He doesn't already know. His ways are higher than ours. And his wisdom and will is always higher than ours in all things. Of course, if the attitude and perspective this evening was one of laziness, the lesson is also clear. My disciples perhaps maybe just wanted to go with the easiest route, didn't want to have to all the hassle, didn't want to have to go through all the difficulties and all the trials, working all right and disappointing people. They didn't get enough here and they didn't get enough there. And, and well, they wanted this and they wanted that and have to go to more than one shop and have to go to many different shops. And what we're we going to do? Now, just take the easiest route. And if it was one of laziness, then the lesson is clear. That when seasons of life are tough, let us know that the Lord will provide. He's called to do a work for him. He will provide. God may not call us to go down the easiest route. But what matters is not whether we go the easiest route. What matters is that we go the right route. Go his way. But as I said, if the attitude and perspective of the disciples was one of weakness, well, I believe the lesson is clear. For those that serve the Lord, Christ's compassion is this. His, he is greater than any problem. Christ himself said through his servant in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, our sufficiency is of God. And as the people of God, we can feel that we are incapable of doing what God has called us to go through. But in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, we're reminded we have this treasure in earthen vessels, weak vessels, incapable vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Remember the promise in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is he that calleth you, he also will do it. God will not call you to do a work, but that he will equip you for it, and will uphold you in it. And yes, there's that application for the believer, but there's that application for every unbeliever this evening. You come to Christ, Christ will uphold you. Christ will care for you. Christ will see your need. Christ will meet your need. Christ will never abandon you. He's a saver you can trust. Christ is compassionate for those who serve him. Notice with me secondly, and briefly this evening, Christ is also compassionate for those who search for him. One turn me please in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. In the verse 32, we read that Christ calling his disciples to himself and to come aside for a while. We read in verse 32 of Mark 6, they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Just them. 
And verse 33, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Christ is compassionate to those who serve him, but he's also compassionate to those who search for him. It's clear that the people here that are searching for Christ, they've heard something of Christ, and they want to meet Christ. They want to see Christ. Now notice here, regarding those that are searching, that they're, search, that they're searching for Christ greatly. Now we read from Luke's account that Christ and his disciples, whenever they left to go aside into the desert place, that they were at the Sea of Tiberias. Okay, then we know from Mark's account and in the Luke's account, they're going to Bethsaida. Now, you take those two things together, and what you find is that to go across the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, it was about four to five miles. But to go along by foot, it would have been ten miles. Now, you get this. These people, seeing Christ get into a boat, they wanted to see Christ, they wanted to meet Christ, they wanted, to, for, they wanted Christ. And what they did was they then ran. Ten miles, three miles short of half a marathon. Now, they did it in the daytime. Eastern sun could be scorching down, but they ran ten miles just for Christ. Let me ask you, what would it take for you to run ten miles? And to run ten miles in the scorching sun? Maybe if you were running with somebody who was sick and had to slow you down, would you keep going? Christ is compassion to those who search for him greatly. He's also compassionate to those who search for him continually. And these people that ran to Christ whenever they got 500 meters and they got a stitch, they didn't give up and they kept running. Whenever they saw perhaps a nice little shop on the way where they could have a seat and a nice cold drink, they didn't stop, no, they kept going. Whenever they felt the hardship and they got the stitch and everything else, they just kept going. I believe Christ was worth it. You see, Christ is a compassionate to those who search for him, those who search for him greatly, those who search for him continually, and those who search for him urgently. Because in Mark 6, 33, we read, whenever they depart in the desert ship, we read, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran. Whatever they were doing, whatever jobs they had, they left it. Whatever family they were with, whatever friends they had, they left it. And they sought Christ above everything else. And they sought Christ immediately. And they sought Christ urgently. Who is Christ going to be compassionate toward? Those who search for him. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, Christ makes a promise. Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Let me ask you this evening, do you really desire Christ? You may be here tonight and that's great. Lovely to have you. But do you desire Christ? desire to hear from him. You desire to want to know the truth. Many people say they want to know truth and they want Christ, but they couldn't have bothered to listen. They couldn't have bothered to study. They couldn't have bothered to think. They couldn't have bothered to go home and meditate on what they've heard. Others couldn't even bother coming. Oh, I want Christ. I want to know the truth. I want eternal life, but I just couldn't have bothered. Christ is compassionate to those who search for him greatly, continually, and urgently with priority. 
How does Christ show compassion to them, you may ask? He does two things. Christ, he sees those that come to him. He sees them. In Mark 6, verse 34, we read, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. Christ saw them as precious. Now, these are ungodly, unregenerate, unbelieving people. These are rebellious sinners who have gone their own way, whose hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. These are people whose heart, imaginations of their hearts are only evil continually. But Christ doesn't see them as a lion or a wolf or a bear to be killed and cast away. He sees them as sheep. He sees them as precious. He sees them as something desirous to have. He doesn't see them as insects or spiders who have no benefit and worth stepping on. He sees them as sheep. He sees them as precious. He also sees them as lost because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. While it's not a big thing for you and I to see a sheep wandering in a field by itself because we have fences and we've got hedges, yet from what I understand of the Middle East and the ancient culture was that they didn't keep sheep in hedges or in fences. They were just led by the shepherd from place to place. So they got to the fold at night. And so if you saw a sheep in the daytime without a shepherd, that sheep was lost, didn't know the best way to go. And the sheep, therefore, are vulnerable. Many animals would happily snap the sheep up, lions and bears and wolves. I believe this is a wonderful thing for the unbeliever this evening. You may be rebellious, and you may be a sinner, you may be ungodly, you may have not loved Christ with a single second, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But Christ, he sees you as sheep. He sees you as precious. And he wants you. He wants to teach you the right way so you're not the lost. He wants to take you and to make you safe so you're not being endangered. He wants to take you home. He cares about you. See, Christ sees. And then Christ serves. Luke chapter 9 and the verse 11. We read in the people when they knew it followed Christ and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. Christ, as these people came, he taught them. You see, this is how Christ begins. This is what Christ prioritizes. This is what Christ labors on. He preaches to the people. In fact, in Mark 6, verse 34, we read that Christ teaches them, quote, many things. In Mark 6, 35, we read that Christ teaches them until the day was far spent that the time has passed, so the disciples would come, send them away for they have nothing to eat. I would get the impression this was not a short sermon. I would get the impression that Christ teaching them many things of the kingdom of God until it was evening time, and the day had worn away, and it was now far spent, and they needed to go before the light had gone completely. Christ had taught them for a long time because he saw what was important for those who are sheep without a shepherd, lost in danger, was teaching and preaching of Christ himself. That's what men needed to hear. That's what men needed to see Christ himself as he is a shepherd who is good, who can be trusted. He is a shepherd who's strong, who can protect him. He is a shepherd who can save them, take them even upon his shoulders and carry them all the way home. He is the one that they need. So Christ teaches them. He preaches to them. He teaches them not only by preaching, but now he teaches them by a picture. You see, that's where the miracle all comes in. Because in this situation, Christ uses it 
to preach to them in a practical way. Because what situation are they in? They're in a situation where they haven't got food. They're in a situation where there's no shops nearby. They're in a situation where they need urgently food. They're in a situation that they themselves could not meet their needs. Couldn't meet their need for themselves. Couldn't meet the need for the families that were with them. They were in need. But while we have their need, we have Christ's supply. And Christ's supply to those that were in need was beyond their expectation. And as the people around about had come to Christ and listened to Christ, and by the way, this was not a situation where Christ fed them and entertained them and then gave them an epilogue at the end. No, he preached likely for hours, and then he gave them what they needed after that. And yet, whenever Christ came, came to give them what they needed, it was beyond expectation. People would have looked at it and said, you've got a few little fish and a few little loaves, what's that going to do? But whenever Christ would take it, and he would give thanks to God for it, and as he blessed it, and as he then gave it to his disciples, he was creating on the spot bread. He was creating on the spot loaves. He was showing his omnipotence as the almighty, eternal, living God. He was creating it on the spot. And so his supply was beyond expectation. He was bringing, as one preacher put it, extra mass into the world. Christ's supply was not only beyond the expectation, but it was sufficient for all who came. It didn't matter if there was 100,000 there. Christ would have met everybody that came to him. And praise God, no matter who comes to Christ for salvation, Christ will meet your need. There's more than enough in the blood that he shed to meet the need of everyone that comes. I think it's wonderful to think that, as Luke tells us, Christ made the people to sit down in groups. I was thinking about that just this afternoon. Why? Well, is it not so that as the disciples went along that nobody would miss? You know, if you had 10,000 people or 12,000 people and they were all just scattered, it'd be easy to miss somebody, wouldn't it? How could you go through that orderly? Whenever the offering's being collected, you have nice ordered rows. It's easy to do it. What if people are all scattered, just sitting everywhere? No, Christ wanted to make sure the people are in order so that nobody would be missed. All that had come to him, nobody would be missed. Nobody would be left out. And everybody would be satisfied because they were all filled, filled to the brim. You come to Christ, your unbeliever, let me tell you. You come to him with your need and his supply is beyond your expectation. You speak to any believer tonight. You speak to any believer what Christ has helped them through, what Christ has brought them through, what Christ has done for them in their lives and their salvation and their forgiveness and their upholding and keeping power. You ask any believer, and let me tell you, they'll be able to say to you, I couldn't even tell you half of it. Half has not been told of what Christ will do for those that come to him. I also think it's interesting here that Christ didn't just care for the present needs, he also cared and planned for the future needs because there were 12 baskets left over for the 12 apostles. One preacher, he made the comment, if you were to have a Christmas dinner, you know it's hard to plan how much you need for your family when they come round, isn't it? So you don't have too much left over. Well, is it not as much a miracle not only did Christ feed the thousands that were there, but Christ knew that there would be just enough left over for 12 people. And not, no more, not 13, not 15, not 11, but just 12. Just enough left over after everybody had had their fill. 
And it's that wonderful to know that Christ can be trusted not just with the present, but with the future. He will make sure everything is there for us when we need it. To be exactly. This is a Savior presented to you tonight. A Savior who is compassionate to those who serve Him, and a Savior who is compassionate to those who search for Him. Now the sad thing is that whenever these people had come to Christ and they had been fed by Christ, that in John chapter 6, I haven't got time to look at it now, but in John chapter 6 we find that some return the next day and they look to Christ for food. And Christ tells them that he is the bread of life. And Christ tells them not to labor for the temporal food, but to labor for that which will never perish, to look for eternal life. And they turn around and say, well, Lord, if you're the bread of life, if you've got eternal life, you know, we'll show us a sign that you've got it. And it's like, well, what do you mean to you a sign? I just created food in the spot yesterday. What more do you want? And people realize that Christ is more than just alive. He's more than just some of these old prophets. Maybe he's like Moses, who fed the people and the children of Israel for 40 years, day after day. And they said, well, tell you what, feed us again now. If you're, going to, if you're as good as Moses, feed us again now. See, what they were looking for from Christ was not eternal life. They were looking for their health care. They were looking for their welfare. They weren't looking for Christ. They didn't desire Christ. Whenever Christ said, I am the bread of life, that's what's the miracle about. I'm the one who satisfies. I'm the one who saves. I'm the one who strengthens. I'm the one who gives life. They didn't want him. They didn't want Christ. And you see, that's the crux of the whole matter. Those who are saved, Compared to those that are not saved, those that are saved want Christ. They see him for the beauty that he is, more beautiful than a rainbow in all its majestic colors. And they love Christ. And their desire and their will is whatever Christ wants. But the lost, they don't see Christ as beautiful, and they don't want him. Let me ask you, where are you tonight? Christ showed himself to be the omnipotent God creating on the spot there with his very hands those hands that would one day soon be nailed to a cross and as the omnipotent God pay the debt for our sins and the people wouldn't believe it and they wouldn't desire it. This compassionate, loving Savior didn't want it. I wonder if that's the case for you tonight. A compassionate Savior, a loving Savior, a perfect Savior who will never disappoint and yet you go out tonight I don't want them. I don't care. What a tragedy. You come to him and his supply will be beyond expectation. Love to you. Forgiveness to you. His joy and peace that he can give to you in himself is beyond expectation. Come to him and enjoy the Savior of the world. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the compassionate Savior, Lord. His very core of his being yearns for those that are lost. He sees the loss as precious. And Father, he desires to give them eternal life and abundant life in himself. Not necessarily an easy life, but an abundant life in himself. A sight of who he is and his beauty and glory. A love and a heart for him and a will that will follow him. Oh Lord, I pray. Save the lost tonight. Give them such a sight 
Give them such a heart. Give them such a will. May they be those born again tonight by the Spirit of God. And for us, our Savior, Lord, may we see that Christ is able to be trusted. Let us see that he cares for us. He always cares, no matter what we're going through. And Lord, perhaps for those who are going through times of great difficulty, let them know that Christ is the one who cares. And he will uphold and that he will provide. He is sufficient. In Jesus' name we ask it now. Amen.